Hello and welcome to the Superposition Guys podcast. My name is Yuval, and my guest today is Mike Heyduk, Deputy Director of the Information Directorate at the Air Force Research Laboratory. Mike and I talk about why the Air Force is interested in quantum technologies, how industry partners collaborate with his team, the impact of the recent Chinese decryption paper, the three quantum modalities they focus on, and much more. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Mike, and thanks for joining me today. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here today. The honor is mine. So, so who are you and what do you do? Yeah, I'm uh, Mike Haduk. I work for the Air Force Research Laboratory. I currently serve as the Deputy Director of the Information Directorate in Rome, New York. And I also serve in a different role, uh, second hat, if you will. I coordinate the quantum information science program across all of AFRL, uh, where we have research going on across multiple uh, geographic sites and technological directorates. Why would the Air Force be interested in quantum? And which quantum is it? Is it communication or sensing or computing or all of the above? All of the above. Uh, glad, glad you asked that question. And that's that's really at, at the heart of our quantum strategy at the Air Force. A um, little bit about AFRL. We're um, a set of about nine different technology directorates plus our international locations. Each of those technology directorates have a different mission space, if you will. Uh, so for example, in Rome, we work information technologies at Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico. Uh, they work space technologies, specifically space vehicles, uh, other technologies there that relate to space, uh, materials and manufacturing in Ohio. So you see there's a lot of different technologies, technology areas across AFRL. So now if you cut to what we're doing in quantum and why we're interested, uh, because of those different mission sets, we've really broken our quantum program down into four main areas that we focus on. Quantum timing, quantum sensing, quantum communications and networking, and quantum computing. So four areas that we've, we've been our technologies into. Um, to give uh, kind of an example of, you know, the depth of magnitude across AFRL. So seven of our nine technology directorates uh, work one form or another of quantum uh, information science. Even if it's, you know, at the basic research level, such as our partners at the Air Force Office of Scientific Research, which includes our international offices, you know, as well as, you know, going down to things, uh, sensors directorate, materials and manufacturing, where they're working, um, new materials, as well as devices to support some of those bigger application areas, uh, and timing sensing, networking, and computing. And if you had to... So divide the pie, is it, uh, you know, third, third, third between sensing communication and computing, or is one more dominant than the other? That's, that's a great question. We, we kind of think, uh, think of it more technology maturity areas. Um, you know, we, we do have pretty even split amongst the areas, uh, personnel wise working at, uh, we generally have about 40 plus. Uh, AFRL employees, government employees working across those areas. 
equal amount of on-site contractors and lots of partners worldwide supporting all that. But we really do think of it more technology maturity areas. So timing, sensing more near term, uh, and, and then networking further out and computing, you know, along those same lines as maturity levels. Yeah, I will say too, and we can go into this a little more on the computing side. Um, we rely heavily on our commercial partners and what's being developed in industry to be able to leverage those architectures and specifically now NISC era type architectures. So we're actually more looking at it on the computing side. We don't build hardware. So instead we look at the problem spaces, algorithms of interest. So that's always a distinction I like to make up front and the AFRL investment in these areas. And you've been in quantum for quite some time. So what have you learned in the last six months that you didn't know prior? Great, great question. I, I, th I think I've learned, you know, several things. Um, you know, one of the things I've really started, you know, digging into a little bit more, even though we don't research the area is, you know, post quantum cryptography and how the air force is going to be you know, using some of those algorithms once they're out there and how we'll, how we'll be able to, to, uh, you know, deploy those systems further down the road, but very important to us as we think ahead here. And certainly, you know, not necessarily specific to our quantum program, but very much related and uh, of high importance to us. And that's shown by the, you know, right at the executive level with the national security memorandum, uh, NSM 10 from May of 2022, uh, really putting a lot of emphasis on uh, post-quantum cryptography amongst, you know, several other areas in quantum. So really highlights the national importance of uh, post-quantum cryptography. If I remember correctly, AFRL looks at three main uh, computing technologies. I think it were superconducting, uh, trapped ions, and maybe photonics. Um, if that's correct, how did this decision come about? And do you expect to look at other modalities, whether, uh, you know, uh, silicon qubits or neutral atoms or uh, diamond vacancies? Uh, tell me about the computing side, please. Sure. So those three modalities and, and yeah, I think we have an interesting story on all, all three of those. But where we're really looking to focus the development of that hardware in terms of applications is in quantum networking. And as we kind of surveyed the landscape and looked across, you know, the, the technologies that are out there, the state of maturity, as well as, you know, critical expertise that we have on staff here, those three technologies made a lot of sense for us to invest in and to pursue as we're looking to build a network. And each of them has their own strengths that we're really looking to use and, if you will, exploit. So, for example, ion traps, uh, great memory source for us. So we see that, you know, when you think of networks, even conventional networks, you, you, you need uh, storage, you need memory. So ion traps are providing that for us on the processing side. How do you, how do you move data, quantum information, uh, superconductors come into play there, you know, excellent for the processing capabilities, um, as well as superconductors, you know, obviously a lot of commercial investment there. So something we're very much leveraging. And then how do you actually move the information? Well, light, photonics, integrated uh, photonics are really coming into play there. And that's, and that's a strong suit of theirs. So where we're looking at this, 
three main modalities. How do we then put them all together in a network? So very different technologies. So being able to interface between those technologies is a heavy emphasis of research for us. Given the different frequencies that they operate at, given different temperatures they're operating at, uh, different what we call it, you know, C-swap, uh, size, weight, and power constraints, all those things, especially as we look to deploy systems for the Air Force really come into the play and they're important for us. Now, as we look to build our network, I, I think you hit upon something really exciting and interesting. And we're, we're starting out with those technologies, but we're not limiting ourselves to those technologies. So we're, we're really looking to build a network, start deploying things, you know, from an Air Force and Space Force perspective. Um, but as our network matures, as we get comfortable with those technologies, the transaction between them, we really envision, and I love this vision from our team, is kind of a plug and play type of network where we can bring some of these other systems in, uh, even bring in application areas such as different sensors, uh, clocks, and, and really put them in there. So we'd love to, as things mature, and even, you know, as certainly some of these technologies that you mentioned, such as nitrogen vacancies, neutral atoms, you know, maybe become stronger, more mature. We're, we're absolutely open to, to looking at those. And I think, you know, one of, one of the things here certainly is um, the expertise of our, our team. I'm really proud that we've built it up in those specific areas and just seeing, you know, the interplay now and, and really looking at systems engineering, right? So we're, we're kind of looking at, I mentioned earlier, how we can start from an Air Force perspective, moving systems from a lab out into the field. This is really important to us to, to bring together not only the quantum physicists, but our algorithm engineers, our systems engineers, really multidisciplinary uh, asset to, to the development of that network. To the extent you can tell me, how large is the team? And even more importantly, how can external vendors collaborate with you? Is there a process? Is there a proving site? Is it just uh, looking at the uh, government RFQ requests? How, how does that work? There's a, yeah, there's a lot of great ways to work with us, uh, with the Air Force. That's, that's one of the things that um, yeah, I really try to preach, if you will, and, and push forward is that the Air Force, just like our sister services, just like our other uh, government agencies that we work closely with, we can't go at this alone. So going back to 2018 or so when the National Bottom Initiative Act was signed, brought together the different U.S. government agencies, and then DOD became a part of that a couple of years after that. Uh, it's really served as a mechanism that, you know, we're, if we're going to get to where we want to be in terms of U.S. development, we not only need to bring in our other government agencies, our partners, we really need to bring in our international partners as well. And, you know, along those lines, industry, academia play a really strong role for us. So I, I've been very fortunate and blessed, if you will, that our team across AFRL is great at engaging these different partners, you know, across a variety of entities, pulling in those technologies for us. So to, to get specific, there, there are absolutely uh, many different ways that you can work with us. The best way is to, to reach out to, you know, myself, our scientists and engineers that folks may be familiar with at the different geographic sites uh, that we're doing these different technologies. Um, you know, you can start with me, I'll, I'll funnel you the right way or, or have a conversation. We do this all the time. 
Uh, and that's a great way to, to look at things. Academia and students and interns, we have a strong summer program, summer faculty fellowships, summer interns. We, we hire a lot of people, you know, specifically talk about our information directorate. We hire a lot of folks to work on networking problems across those technologies, as well as the quantum algorithm piece. Um, how to engage, you know, we, we also have educational partnership agreements that we work with universities um, that allow us to, to really engage and have deep technical discussions and um, exchange of technologies. Um, we do grants with universities, contracts with industry as well. You can go through our normal um, BAA process, kind of our, uh, you know, request for proposal stage that folks might be familiar with. But, you know, before we get to that, I think it's important to really learn at a deeper level AFRL's interest levels in those technologies. So I really encourage folks to to reach out, um, have a conversation, me have a conversation with our scientists and engineers and, and get a better feel for our interest areas that then allow us to engage and now, there's no doubt about it. We do engage with, with a lot of partners across, and I mentioned those four different technology areas. Uh, I'm always, like I said, really blown away by how many folks we're able to engage with. And that just, you know, becomes a force multiplier for us. Um, you also asked about the size, size of the team. Um, we, we have about 50, between 40 and 50 government folks that work on these, uh, different technologies across those sites. Uh, continuing to grow. So, for example, here in the information directorate, we have about 20 people working quantum networking and quantum algorithms. And then you always supplement that by um, on-site contractors, postdocs, students, faculty, our other industry partners that are working side by side with us. And I guess, you know, the bottom line is, you know, we're very fortunate to really within AFRL to be hands-on with this technology. And, you know, that's great to see, and it's so important to uh, do that. So, you know, as we look to move the technology out, we really have a very deep fundamental understanding of the technology and, uh, you know, its applications and its implications as well. It sounds like you're a center of excellence, not just within the Air Force, but within the government as a whole. And so if I switch gears to quantum cryptography for a second. Um, a couple of weeks ago, there was this article, I think from a Chinese institution about how uh, crypto could be, how the uh, encryption could be cracked quickly or quicker than previously thought. How was your day uh, <laughs> when it was published? Were you bombarded by uh, people say, what's going on and is this real and, and, and so on? Tell me about that, please. Yeah, uh, sure. So that article certainly generated a lot of interest in the community. And of course, we had our, our technical folks, you know, right on top of it, looking at it, um, analyzing it. Uh, also read, you know, talked to some other of our partners out there. Scott Aronson had a, had a nice piece on it on his uh, quantum computing blog that, you know, generated a lot of interest. So, you know, those those are the type of things that we generally look for. Um, you know, we, we know what's occurring now you know the whole um store now decrypt later that's it's always uh, of concern uh, that's, that's being done out there so um we definitely have our eye on it uh you know obviously as we move towards quantum computers becoming a reality that's going to be you know we're gonna probably see more and more of papers like that um 
you know, we'll continue to look at it, analyze, you know, those papers and see where the state of that technology is at. And it does just drive forward, you know, the national level investment here in the U.S. Uh, post-quantum cryptography algorithms, encryption techniques to, to really get those rolling out there, you know, sooner than later. I think that's critically important to us. Do you also collaborate with, say, NIST on uh, post-quantum cryptography standards? Are you part of the standards evaluation or um, expressing your opinion on what's better than, than what algorithm is better than others? So that's that's a great question. So we really rely heavily on you know what what NIST is doing, and then from the Air Force perspective, the Department of Defense perspective, uh, all our systems that we use uh, need to be certified. That of course makes sense. Uh, National Security Agency is responsible for that, so they're the ones who really work closely with NIST on those algorithms. And then the testing, the the rollout, the deployment, if you will, is then where we come into play. Uh, and, and because of that, and you know, because of our, our limited research dollars and our need to focus on specific areas, we we don't get into that in specifically those research areas. But you know, look more towards you know, keeping an eye on it. We always call it kind of a watch area for us. Uh, what's being done, and then how then. Do we work on deploying that in you know, a bigger picture for the Air Force? You mentioned the Space Force. Uh, it would seem to me that if you're sending a satellite up and it has uh, cryptography, that's going to be really difficult to change, certainly that difficult or impossible to change the hardware. Does that impact the directions that you're looking at in terms of what uh, you know, near-term versus long-term solutions? Yeah, and I think that's um, just, you know, paramount not only to air systems, space systems, as as we think about, you know, the, the digital air force, how best can we do a lot of things in software? And I'm talking broad there, you know, not any specific type systems, but in uh, modular architectures, those are things that we always look to and think about because as we know, you know, hardware upgrades are difficult, whether it's you know, on an enterprise system, air platform, space platform, very difficult to do, uh, given the long lifetimes of these systems. So moving more towards software implementations, wherever we can across systems is, uh, very important to us. And, you know, that obviously allows for quicker updates in something we need to do, especially as you think about digital systems, digital architectures, and they need to constantly update and move forward. And, as a whole here in the information directorate, even just outside our quantum program, that's something that we're always thinking about and uh, working towards. As we get close to the end of our conversation today, I was curious, uh, what would you like industry to work on, perhaps in a faster pace than you see uh, people working on today? Oh, that's, there's, yeah, there's great questions there. I think um, maybe I would bin it three or four different ways. One is um, maybe big picture architectures. You know, obviously there's a lot of commercial investment in the quantum computing area. So obviously we want that to go forward and the different technology areas we want that to continue to, to move forward and, and really to grow ideally. And then, um, you know, sitting on top of that application areas for quantum computers, right? As the hardware scales, 
I, I think everyone appreciates the fact that we're going to see more and more applications. So we want to see it heavy industry investment and working those application areas, those algorithm pieces that will ultimately very much benefit us in the Air Force. Um, and networking areas, certainly working on applications of quantum networks are very important to us. Uh, and then, as I talked about earlier, you know, big area where we're looking at is transduction going between the different modalities, the different frequencies, the conversion areas. That's critical for us, the transduction piece. And then maybe at the lowest foundational level, continued investment in R&D and supply chain development. That's going to be very important. I'm fortunate enough to sit on the steering uh, council for the Quantum Economic Development Consortium, working with Celia Mertzbacher under her leadership. And I, I just love being on that committee because you know that's where we really look at problems, supply chain, and you know as the system scale up, you really move away from you know, just thinking about things from a quantum physicist perspective, but more from an engineering perspective. So having industry work on things, you know, high-speed electronics, uh, vacuum systems, cryogenic systems uh, at, at all scales is very important to us uh, as well. So, you know, we always kind of have this feedback loop that we think about, and, you know, those are the critical areas for us. But love to continue to engage with industry and uh, certainly encourage folks to reach out to us as well to have those conversations. And a hypothetical question, if you could have dinner with one of the quantum greats, uh, who would that person be, dead or alive? Dead or alive. Yeah, there's, well, there's so many people that, that I think about uh, there. Uh, easy answer, of course, would be Richard Feynman. Man, I'd love to, to, to talk to him. But person I really enjoy talking to and hearing speak uh, is Professor John Preskill, Caltech. Uh, just his knowledge, his expertise across multiple areas. And I think really what I like about the perspective he brings is he sets reality into it. And you know, that's one of my jobs here in AFR, coordinating quantum, is bringing reality to it and, and countering the hype. And Professor Preskill just has a great way of doing that and portraying that and, you know, getting people excited, but kind of in the right lanes and, and knowing that we have to be in this for the long haul. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you, both to learn more about your work and as well as perhaps to, to brief you on what they're doing? Yeah, uh, I think the the best way would be, I, I speak at a lot of events, so you can catch up with me there, but um, I'm on LinkedIn. And look me up, Michael Haydock, uh, under Air Force Research Laboratory. Find me there, shoot me a message. I always get back to folks. Uh, and then if it makes sense, we'll, we'll have a deeper conversation, have uh, some information exchange, and spend a lot of time really talking to folks, which, which I enjoy. And then making sure at the same time, pulling in the right members of our tech team. And then we can continue to, to go from there. Excellent. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. Thank you.